Endurance, okay, he's producing endurance. Any other ways? Christ-like character, excellent. Okay, so the goal is spiritual maturity, endurance, Christ-like character. And now, second question, how does God go about producing that? Or let me say, put it this way, because I don't want you to think that this is the only way God matures us. But one way, one big way, and James is pointing it out, what is one way God matures us? Anybody want to venture a guess? This is like in that second part, the means, the way. The, the, what does God do to mature us? Trials, right. Don't even raise your hand. Just, just say it. Yeah, it's so obvious, right? He sends trials. What do trials do? Trials, what, what little phrase did he use here? What do trials do to faith? They strengthen it. Exercise, right? Exercise our faith. And in the passage, what, what do they do as well? Another word for it. They test our faith, right? They test it. They strengthen it. Okay, good. And so, the goal is spiritual maturity. One of the ways God gets us to that spiritual maturity is trials, testing of our faith. And so, how should we respond to trials. What does James say? He said he gives us two ways of responding. What's the first way? We should do what? Rejoice, right? We should count it joy, which doesn't just mean paste a smile on your face, pretend like everything's okay. Uh, Mr. Nurmberg was talking about how you can have joy and at the same time deep sorrow. That's true. So James is not trying to say you just pretend like everything's okay, but he's saying underneath the sorrow, there's a sense, a trust in God, right? That he's in control and that he's working this trial in your life for your good, right? For your spiritual maturity. What's the other way that you're to respond? Count it all joy, rejoice, be what? in the passage. You can look at it. And the cheat sheet's right there. Be steadfast. Oh, you know all the answers. Okay. You want him on your team. Yeah. Be steadfast, right? Which means don't just at the beginning go, I trust in you, but keep saying that as you go through the trial. Day after day after day, keep trusting in God. Keep turning back to him. Okay. But now we're thinking about our posture in trial. You guys did really well. So A plus, Everybody gets an A. Sorry, I can't add any points to your team, but um, I'll just give you an A+. Do you realize that you and I were not created to live independently of God? We were not created to live independent lives. There's, um, There's a guy I like to watch on YouTube, but I don't like the title of his, like, you know, the name, his his name of his channel. It's called My Self-Reliant. And it's a guy who lives up north and he cuts trees down and he builds his own cabins and he does everything on his own. You know, he's a self-made man and he survives on his own. Well, God didn't actually create us to live on our own, independent of him. We were created to walk with God, to talk with God, to consciously depend on God. But there's something in you 
and there's something in me that resists that. You realize we're sinners, right? And even if we're Christians, we still have some of that sinful nature in us. We're not completely delivered from sin. And there's something in us that resists walking dependently on God. We want to do our own thing, right? We want to be independent of God. We don't want to depend on him. We, deep down inside, think we know better and can do it better and have a better idea than God. I remember when my one of my boys was little, little kid. He was learning to tie his shoes. Kids have this terrible, I don't know if you ever fell into this, but kids have this terrible pattern. They tie their shoes, and then they take off their shoes without untying them. The problem is you can't get your foot back in it without untying it. But when you're, when you're needing to put your shoes on, you're often in a hurry. So he'd be in a hurry. He'd come outside. His shoes were there tied. He would grab them and start yanking. And you know, if you start yanking and you're not pulling on the right string, what happens? Big knot. He'd get frustrated now. Ah! And in his frustration, he would pull even harder. What happens if you pull harder? The knot gets tougher, you know? And I remember, he's there, ah, ah, and he's just frustrated, he's just screaming, ah! I remember coming, being right there, and I'm just kind of watching him. (laughs) And And I said, you know, I can help you. But see, the one thing he didn't want to do was turn to me for help. He's just yelling, screaming. And I'm right there. I can help him. But no, I can do it on my own by pulling harder. And often that's the way we are, isn't it? I was just thinking about yesterday. Yesterday I was faced with a problem. Yesterday afternoon. It wasn't a big problem, but it was a problem. And in reflecting upon it as I was preparing for this morning, I realized in that problem, I never even turned to God. I never stopped and prayed. I never depended on him. I just, I can figure this out. You know, like, I got this. You know, I can do this. I'm smart. I I can figure this out. And God sends trials into our lives to bring us to the end of our own resources so that we might turn to him. God delights to be needed. Do you realize that? He delights to be depended on. Look at this passage. I'm just pulling a passage like Second Corinthians. This is Paul. It's quite an astounding passage. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. This isn't just a little trial. This is something big, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this where you were burdened excessively beyond your strength so that you despaired of even living through it. That's a big trial. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves And then I want you to see that part in yellow. So that. What's the purpose? Why? Why did this happen to Paul? So that what? We would not what? Trust in ourselves. Yeah, let's say it together. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He's saying the same thing that James is saying, right? God wants to teach you to trust him. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about today. 
two things today, just two big points. James wants us to pray, and he wants us to boast. It's interesting, I was talking to Mr. Nuremberg, and he said he talked about boasting. So hopefully some of this will connect. He wants us to pray. I get it. James, prayer, that would be high on my list, too, of how to respond to a trial. Good job, James. Boast? What? Boast? We're going to see how that plays itself out. And in both sections, we're going to see that James commands us, and you see it in your notes there. He commands us, and he cautions us. Then he commands us, and he cautions us. So that's kind of our big picture outline. So let's read our passage, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Are we all on the same page? Does everybody have notes, handout? We're good? Okay. So let's read. And I'm going to read from the very beginning once again so we can get the whole context. James, a bondservant of God, remember the half-brother of Jesus and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now note here the command. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But now the caution. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now note the second command here. But the brother of humble circumstance is to glory or boast in his high position. And the rich man is to glory or boast in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. But note the caution here in verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we ask you now, you tell us right here to ask for wisdom, and we ask that of you right now, that you would grant us wisdom, insight into your word, that we might be a people who trust you and who respond rightly to trials in our lives. And so we ask that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you lack wisdom, really, we all lack wisdom, right? So really, this is all of us. If you lack wisdom, if you lack the perspective we were talking about in the last session, if you can't figure out how to respond in the midst of difficulty, whenever you have a sense of need, Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Trials are kind of a blessing. They're a blessing in disguise. Trials expose our weaknesses. They expose our limitations. And that in itself is a gift, if you have eyes to see it. Because in seeing your weakness, you might go to the Lord. Go to God. 
And you might lay hold of his power and his wisdom and his strength and his resources. And that's a blessing. You see? So he's calling us, if you lack wisdom, cry out to God. So let's begin here. Our posture towards God ought to be, you could add the word asking. I like the idea of asking. I I had already printed this up. Our posture towards God should be asking. I need help. I need wisdom. Help me. Give me wisdom. But our posture should be a posture of asking God for wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is not your IQ. It's not how advanced you can do how advanced you can do your math. You know, I do calculus. I've got wisdom. You can do calculus and not be wise. What is wisdom? Let me give you a definition here. Wisdom is the ability to navigate life in harmony with what God has revealed of himself in his word. In other words, wisdom is a capacity to understand what is true and live by it. That's wisdom. So wisdom is really a product or a result of doing what we were talking about last night, delighting in the word, meditating on the word. It will produce wisdom if we, if we live our lives according to God's word. Wisdom ultimately comes from God. Right? And it is the opposite, we could say, of lean, leaning to your own understanding. If you lean to your own understanding, that's not wisdom. That's foolishness. Leaning on God's wisdom, on, on what God has said, that's wisdom. Right? And so, ask for wisdom. Entrust yourself to God's wisdom. That's what we're encouraged to do this, to do. But asking for wisdom requires humility. Right? Because it's saying, I don't have the right perspective. I don't know the way. I don't know what's best. I need help. I need your perspective, God. And that's often what we don't want to do, right? There's something within us that kind of goes, I can do this on my own. You know, we're kind of hardwired that way. I can do this all by myself. I don't need help. And James is saying, hey, in the midst of trials, ask for wisdom. Humble yourself and ask God for wisdom. But So that's our posture towards God. But no, what is God's posture towards us? It's really a beautiful posture. What does it say here? Let him ask God who what? What does he do? He gives to all, right? So God is a God who is continually giving to all. The verb give there is in the present tense. And I don't get, want to get too technical, but it has this idea of ongoing action here in the Greek. God is a God who is continually giving. Right now, as you sit in your seats, God is giving to you. He's giving to all of you. He's giving to me. He's giving you breath. He's giving you life. He's giving you strength. He's given you friends. He's given you, he's given you so much. He's always giving. I don't know if you think of God that way, but God is a giving God. Every second he's giving everyone. He's just giving. He's lavishing his gifts on people. He's giving, 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 giving. Our posture is what? 
asking. His posture is giving. That's really beautiful, isn't it? We ask, he gives. How does he give? Well, he gives generously. Not miserly. Is that a word? No, that's not a word. But generously. And the word generous here actually means sincerely or wholeheartedly. That is, he just, he gives, he lavishes on us. How how did God prove that this is the way he gives? The ultimate proof that God gives to every single person on the face of this earth generously, wholeheartedly. Okay, we're all alive. The cross, okay, his son. What did God give us? He gave us what was most precious to him. His only son that we might have life. So this is, this is our God. God gives generously. He gives wholeheartedly and he gives without reproach. I love that he adds that. He doesn't get tired of us coming to him. Oh, here he comes again. That Oh my goodness, it's been a... Do you realize you've come to me five times? Look, four is the limit. Five, you know, it's just over the top. I am so sick and tired of you coming. And that's how we are, right? If someone comes to you over and over and over again, it's like, look, give me a break. You know, just leave me alone. I'm tired. But God gives without reproach. You can come to him again and again and again. And every time you come, he is thrilled that you are coming to him. And he wants to give to you. He wants to lavish himself upon you. He gives and he gives and he gives and he never grows tired. One commentator says, God's storehouse of wisdom is infinite. He never runs out and never gets tired of us needing him. Never gets tired. I want to ask you right now, just just pause and think, is this how you perceive God? A giver. Generous. Doesn't reproach you when you come to him. Because often when you face trouble, when you face trials, it's very easy to start to think of God as being cruel and hard and miserly. And difficult, right? We're going to talk about that more tomorrow, Lord willing. Because it's a big temptation to think that God is an evil God. who's trying to make my life difficult. And what James is saying, no, 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 no. God is a generous God. He's a giving God. He's good. He's infinitely good. And he wants to give himself to you. His wisdom to you. So... One more point, though. What does he say? Who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be what? It will be given. So there's a promise. You ask for wisdom, and the promise here is it will be given to you. That's a promise that you can take to the bank and you can cash it. You say, God, you said in your word that if I asked for wisdom, you would give it. And I am asking right now, please, I'm desperate. Give me wisdom. Help me. And he will. Every single time. 
But you're like, well, wait a minute. Doesn't he say something after that? <laughs> there is a caution. So let's talk about that caution because we want to understand that correctly. He says, but he must ask in faith. He must ask in faith without any doubting. Oh, well, I often doubt. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm not really asking in faith. That's probably why God doesn't answer me. Sometimes we think that way, right? So I want us to think about what does this mean? What is this caution that James raises? And I believe what he's talking about here is that the manner of our asking needs to match the manner of God's giving. The manner of our asking needs to match the manner of God's giving. How does God give? What did we say? He gives wholeheartedly. How are we to ask? Wholeheartedly. Okay. He's talking about a whole heart here. Asking in a way that's sincere and wholehearted. Some of us, I think, when we get to this passage, we're sensitive and we say, oh no, I'm always doubting. That's me, second guessing. I'm probably not asking in faith. And we, we feel the weakness of our faith. Do you feel the weakness of your faith when you ask God? When you come to this passage, you're like, yeah, I probably won't receive because I'm probably one of those doubters, you know, like. But think about that father in the Gospels. Remember that father who brings his tormented son and he comes to Jesus with his son and he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us, help us. And Jesus responds and says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father cries out, I do believe, help my what? Unbelief. And that's often where we're at, right? I believe, but help my unbelief. Let me just tell you, I do not believe this is what James is talking about. James is not talking about weak faith. He's not talking about little faith. He's not talking about stumbling faith. He's talking about an an insincerity of heart. About coming to God with a divided heart. If you're coming to God sincerely with a a real, genuine sense of need, you're coming in faith. Let me just encourage you. You are coming to him in faith. Let me try to describe this a little bit more. And let me use an illustration that maybe you girls can understand. We we guys, we might not get this, but I think we'll all get it. All right, you girls, you go to your mom, and you're going to ask for some counsel, for some wisdom. Mom! Should I wear the green dress or the red dress tonight? <laughs> okay. That's a problem, right, with girls. It's hard to, I mean, know what you're going to wear. Yes. And your mom responds, I think you ought to wear the green dress. It's going to be cooler tonight, and that'll keep you a little bit warmer. And you respond by going, hmm, I think I want to wear the red dress. Does this sound familiar? So you've come to your mom to ask for (coughs) wisdom, but you're not really interested in your (coughs) mom's wisdom unless it matches what you want to do. So you're coming to her somewhat insincerely, would you say? 
somewhat not wholeheartedly. You kind of want to hear what your mom has to say, and you kind of don't. You're double-minded. And James is describing a person here who has not truly committed himself to Christ. They're kind of on the fence. They're wavering between love for God and love for self. Trust in God, trust in self. And there's this fundamental conflict in their loyalty to God. They're double-minded. What does this word double-minded mean? It literally means two-souled. You have two souls when you're double-minded. One soul wants to go this way, and one soul wants to go that way. You kind of want to hear what God wants to say, and you kind of don't. And you want God to affirm what you want to do, and if he doesn't, you're going to go your own way. You're double-minded. There's a conflict in your loyalty with God. Let me just tell you this. If you doubt what God says, if you refuse to entrust yourself to his wisdom, then God really can't give to you. If you won't receive what God wants to give, then you can't receive. It's kind of a no-dub, right? You can't receive. If you won't listen to God, if you won't listen to God's voice, you're going to be at the mercy of every other voice in your life. There's a lot of voices out there vying for your attention. And if you don't listen to God's voice, you're going to be at the mercy of every other voice and you're going to be just like what James talks about right here, like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed this way and that way by every, I was going to say by every wind of doctrine, that's another passage, but by the wind, you're going to be just going here and there. There's going to be no stability to your life. So this is really what I believe. Does that help you to understand what James is talking about? He's not talking about weak faith. He's talking about insincere faith. Pretending like you want to hear from God when really you just want to do your own thing. Praying, piously, oh God, please give us wisdom. But all along, you're going to do your own thing. You don't really want to hear from God. And you're double-minded. So note that it's not so much that God isn't willing to give. Because sometimes we read this and we go, oh, God probably doesn't want to give to me. You know, sometimes I doubt, you know, God... No, we start getting a wrong picture of God. God is a generous God. God is a giver. He's giving, 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 giving. He wants to give. But the problem is not that God doesn't want to give. It's that we're not willing to receive. The double-minded person doesn't really want to hear what God has to say. And that's why James warns us. In a sense, he's saying, get off the fence. Entrust your life to Christ. Surrender yourself into his, into his hands and draw near to him with a whole heart, with a sincere heart. And ask for wisdom. So, number one. Man, our time's going by fast. That's not good. Oh boy. All right, here we go. Number one, pray, pray, pray. Right? Ask God for wisdom. That's the first posture. Is prayer your first instinct in the midst of trouble? It's a good question, right? Is prayer your first instinct, going to God? 
It's not mine all the time. But I want to grow in that. God, God is going to teach you and me to go to him in the midst of trouble. Okay, secondly, our second big point is he calls us to boast. The brother of humble circumstances to glory or boast in his high position. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. So what does this mean to boast? James places before us two kinds of Christians. The poor and the rich. I'll just put them both up here. The poor is a Christian who has very little earthly resources. And the rich are those who have a lot of earthly resources at their disposal. Now, at your age, you're saying, oh, I'm definitely the poor one. You know, you're looking at your, your bank account, your piggy bank, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm poor. I'm poor. But he's probably thinking more than just money. So think about some of the different ways you might be rich or not rich, rich or poor. Some of you are rich in personality. You make friends easily. You're easily liked. You're part of the end group. So you, that's, that's a, a resource that you have. Some of you are rich in natural talents. You're good at music or rich in brains or rich in athletics, rich in art. Okay, rich in whatever. Some of you are rich in relationships. You have really good relationships, loving parents, godly grandparents. Some of you are really wealthy. Some of you may be poor in that area. Some of you are rich in good health. So there's other areas. You have a lot of resources at your disposal, all because God has what? Given them to you, right? Some of you are richer in these areas. Some of you feel poor in these areas. And what is James saying? Both the rich and the poor need to boast. Wow. Okay, what does it mean to boast? To boast is to make much of something. It's to brag about. It's to take pride in something. Boasting reveals what's important to us. It reveals what we value. And James says, you are to boast. Now, we all tend to be pretty good at boasting, right? Hey, look at my muscles. Look at my athletic ability. Look at my academic achievements, you know. And we tend to think of boasting as something negative. But here, James is using it in a positive sense. And what is he saying? Look at what he says. says the rich, the, the poor person is to glory in his high position and the rich in his humiliation. There's a tendency in the midst of difficult circumstances to be taken up with our material resources, our earthly resources. And we do one of two things. We either pity ourselves. Oh, poor me. Life's so hard, and look, I have nothing. If only I had, if only I had X, if only I had Y, then everything would be okay. So we pity ourselves, or we become proud. Look at me. No big deal. I've got this one beat. I'll just throw some money at it. I'll just throw some brains at it. I've got brains. I'm good, right? So, I, but either way, we're boasting. Not in God, but we're boasting in what we have or what we don't have. And what does James tell us to do here? And I'm going to move a little quicker. To the poor, he says, don't pity yourself. Don't pity yourself. 
But make much of your relationship with God. Glory in your high position. What is the poor man's high position? Look at chapter 2, verse 5. If you're in James, chapter 2, verse 5, he says, doesn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in what? Rich in faith. Heirs of the kingdom of God. What is the poor rich in? He knows God. He's got the the wealth of, he's got God's wealth at his disposal. He's an heir of God. He's a child of God. So boast in that. Boast in who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ. And to the rich, he says, don't become proud, but boast in your humiliation. Boast in your humiliation. That is, forget your earthly resources and make much of your relationship with God. So let me ask you, what makes you feel secure? What makes you feel like everything's okay? What gives you a sense of security? Is it is it your resources, earthly resources at your disposal? Or is it the fact that you belong to God? That God is your Father. And he's a generous God. And, and he has made you his child. And he cares for you. And you have all every blessing in spiritual places in Christ. Is that what you glory in? Is that what you boast in? Is that what you make much of? But there is a caution here. And the caution, as we already said, is in the midst of trials, don't be consumed with yourself your own capacities, and your own resources. Note that, like I already mentioned, you can be consumed with what you don't have just as much as you can be consumed with what you do have. Both of those are looking at yourself and what you have instead of looking to Christ and who you are in Christ. But, why does he caution us? He cautions us because he says, Earthly riches are fading away. And if you put your trust in earthly resources, you're going to fade away too. It's kind of a strong caution here that he gives. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Earthly riches are fading away. You put your trust in earthly riches, you're going to fade away too. But let's just look really sneak preview at tomorrow. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive what? The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You trust in yourself, you trust in your resources, and you're going to fade away. You trust in God, and he will give you the crown of life. Give you a crown of life. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? So, what should our posture be in trials? Just two things. One, prayer. Ask God. Ask God sincerely. You really want to hear from God and you want to follow him. And he'll give it to you. He's a generous God. Posture number two, don't make much of your own resources, what you have or don't have. But make much, in the midst of trials, make much 
of the fact that you have a relationship with the God of this universe, with the one who owns everything, with the one who has the biggest brains, <laughs> the greatest academic achievements, whatever you want to put. He has everything. You have all that you need in him. So I'm going to do what I did yesterday. I have just a few minutes here, and I'm going to send you out. Just five minutes, find a quiet place and spend five minutes and think about these two questions that you have in your notes and maybe jot a few answers to it. Um, If there's other things from previous sessions this morning that are coming to your heart, to your mind, think about those. Two questions. Do you respond to difficult circumstances by praying and asking for wisdom? Is that your instinct to go to God? Why or why not? And number two, when you encounter trials, what do you make much of? Your own resources or the resources you have in God because of your relationship with God? Okay? So five five minutes alone. I'm going to pray and then you can be dismissed. And remember that lunch is at 12.15. Don't think they changed it on us, so we're good. 12.15, meet up in the dining room. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. Thank you for speaking to us. Teach us, we pray. Make us those who go to you, who boast in you in the midst of trials. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.